today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Email todaycb at rte.ie now, you're welcome back uh, to the programme. For most of our listeners, you'll know the world comes in glorious technicolour with the green grass, the blue sky. The vibrancy of colour serves to show us the beauty of the world around us and the people in it. Well, here to shine a little light on the science of colour for us is physicist Dr Shane Bergen from UCD's School of Education. Good morning, Shane. Lovely to see you. Good morning. This is a great one of those basic questions of science that we tend not to think too much about, but we should and we're going to today. And you're going to tell us where colour comes from. Yeah. Is it in our heads or are things actually the colours that, that we think they are, right? These these questions have are as much philosophical as they are science scientific and they have obsessed scientists for hundreds of years. The uh, late, great Isaac Newton during a, a bout of plague in um, the, when, when was it, hundreds of years ago, he, he took himself off to uh, the countryside and he was held up in a barn and uh, being Isaac Newton, he started to do experiments. He was very curious about the nature of light. There was a little hole in the barn door and through it came a ray of light. And he was interested in what was in that light. And he'd been obsessed about this for ages. He used to do terrible things like sticking spoons into his eye right. to try and see what was going on. And uh, I wouldn't recommend it, obviously. No. <laughs> we can't condone Glad that. you said that. Unfortunately, he stopped and he went back to this beam of light that was coming through his barn door. And so he was in a dark room and with the, with the shaft of light coming through it. And he wanted to understand what was in that light. So he took something called a prism, which is a triangular piece of glass. And what prisms do is they, um, they break the light up into its constituent colours. Um, all he knew at that point was that if you pass light through an object like water, it bends. And so he was able to kind of play with that basic concept and to try and uh, uh, break up the light into its constituent colours. So what I mean by that is he could make a rainbow. He could take the light from the sun, which we call white light, and he could turn it into the colours that we we know uh, and love so well. And so th- this was fundamental to be able to do this, to see it in, in real life. The only other places that we would see it naturally occurring are things like rainbows, of course. But Newton had cracked it, literally. He had cracked open the light to see what was inside it. Mm-hmm. And we've and been working with that since. And when we talk about colours, then we have to treat black separately, don't we? Yeah, black is the absence of colour and white is, we know now, all of the colours combined. So in in uh, secondary school, um, we had this thing. It was it was a, a wheel of colour, right? It was like the uh, a, um, a spinning wheel. And if you turn this wheel uh, really, really fast, all the, the rainbow colours that were within it started to blur into one another and it eventually looked white. And so, um, which is incredible. I mm-hmm. think most kids all would the have these together. School. Yes. Equals white. White light. Um Newton was was really curious, though, about the prism. He wondered, was the prism breaking open the light or was the prism actually adding some sort of impurity that might create the colour? So what he cleverly did was he he cracked open the light and where, where there was blue light coming out of the prism, he stuck another prism in there. 
uh, and his hypothesis was that if, if it was the prism that was making the colour, then more colour would come from the blue light. And that's not mm. what happened. So he was able to to confirm that the light itself, the white light was made up of all of those colours. Did, uh, did he have to ask 10 different people, is that blue or do you see that as green? Because <laughs> that's another problem as well, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. A couple of years ago. Um, yeah. So the light goes into our eyes. It's important to say that. It seems so obvious. But for a long, long time, it was actually thought that our eyes were somehow like torches, that they were sending beams out, out into the world okay. and interpreting the world like touch. Right. Because you think touch is that way. You have to mm. touch something in order for you to to sense it. So with your eyes, the light is going in. But for a long time, the Greeks would have thought that the, something was going out of your eyes into the world to sense it, to touch the things that we would see as having colour. Mm-hmm. Remarkable. But just to go back to that, that we we don't know what the other person is seeing. Like, I don't know what colours you're seeing. Like, the, the cover on the microphone is blue to yes, me. Is, yes. it, is it blue to you? It, it, well, yeah, but maybe <laughs> I've just learned that that's blue, well, right? Maybe. So <laughs> Someone told you it was blue. Yeah, exactly. And as a child, I'd said blue and I got rewarded and on I went. Um, so, it, yeah, seeing is believing is the phrase, right? And so, But sometimes we can get confused. So our eyes have this capacity to sense not just low light things and black and white and those things. We can also see colour um, and we have cones in our eyes. We have photoreceptor cells in our eyes that are able to sense three types of colour, red, green and blue. OK, the primary colours. And we can mix those together in different ways in our eyes so that we can sense about a 100 different colours. And most of the time, we're not going to argue. The big red light here in the studio is red and you and I would confirm that the microphone is blue, the banana is yellow, etc. And we just learn these things and we can talk about why they are those colours. But occasionally, we, we get confused. And a couple of years ago in 2015, there was this famous image that came from Scotland. It was on the internet called The Dress. And it was a two-tone striped dress. And some people, about half the population, saw it as black and blue. Yeah. And the other half saw it as white and gold. And um, so you, were, you could have two people looking at the same photograph and they would argue that, um, you know, what you see is wrong and what I see is oh, right. driving people mad. Yeah. And that all came down to something called colour constancy, which is basically that when we look at the objects in the world, we don't just see there's a bit of yellow, I'm going to add that in, and a bit of, of blue or whatever. What we do is we look for colours and we look at the contrasts of colours that are there. And so our brain does this very complex computation to try and and put together uh, an image. So, of course, like we, you know, we have to, we, it's very complicated, but I think seeing is still believing, yeah. right? You know, but things like that show you that, the, you know, there is a certain amount of processing that goes on in our brain to interpret colour. And that, right. that's pretty cool. And different species will process colour in a different way. So yeah. if you have a dog and a bird and a human looking at the rainbow, we'll see different things. Isn't that incredible? It so is we, incredible. we see the, the, the so-called seven colours of the rainbow. We only say there are seven because Newton said so. Seven was a religious uh, number, but there is an infinite number of colours in the rainbow. We just have decided there are seven and we've given them names. You're really messing with my head now. <laughs> so you mentioned about different animals. Yes, the dog will only see certain colours. So you're out for a walk with the dog and you see a rainbow. The dog will see it, but they won't see all the colours. They won't see the redder end of things. Uh, similarly, birds and insects and things like that, they see a whole other spectrum of colour that we can't see. So when certain birds and insects and uh, various flying things 
look at flower petals, they're able to see colours that we can't see. So just our eyes can't perceive them. It's not that they don't exist. It's just that we're not able to see them. And my favourite one of these is the the red rag to the bull. You know that phrase, right? It's in fact that the, the bull can't really distinguish that it's red. So all the bull is getting angry about is the shimmering movement of the cloth or the rag. And that's what gets their goal. Could going. be yellow. Could be a yellow rag to a bull. Uh, yeah, yeah. Same exactly. reaction. Yeah, absolutely. That's worth knowing. That's good. We put that in our <laughs> arsenal of information. So when it comes to adding colours to things, how do we do that, Jane? Yeah, the, the colouring in, right? Yeah. Um, and when we look at prehistoric art, we would see that they had the most basic rudimentary colours, but they, they had to, to find pigment to create paint. And nowadays we can do that. Uh, you know, we think of a, a colour television, right? Uh, how it's able to work. It literally has tiny little pixels, right? And each pixel will have a little bit of red, a little bit of blue and a little bit of green. And they'll add them together in different ratios to make the colours that we all perceive. And they're able to do that with such precision and such accuracy that we just see something that looks like the real world. Mm-hmm. But if you wanted to to go back to, to basics in terms of your Crayola, right, or indeed going back to how they might have done something like the Book of Kells, they had to dig materials up from the ground and uh, they, they would have had to add water or oil to them to turn them into paint. And um, that's incredibly difficult to do. Certain colours like blue are very hard to find naturally. Um, so um, people would have had to source these things. And there was a there was a real trade back in the uh, in the in the prehistoric days of people sending pigments around the world. And a couple of years ago, scientists in Trinity College did a study on the pigments in the Book of Kells to try and figure out where those constituent colours came from. And they found that they came from much, much further afield than they'd previously thought. Of course, they did that using a non-invasive technique. I should stress that. Yes. Called spectroscopy. Mm-hmm. So which is this, the study of spectra, the study of of colour that scientists will do and they still do it today. Well, Kevin has been on to us and he would like to know how do they make white paint? <laughs> and I understand why he's asking that question given what we've said that yeah. white is a mixture of all of the other colours except Absolutely. black. Yeah, and why is milk white and uh, these sorts of things. So white, white, the whiteness comes from when you have a, a, a phenomenon known as scattering. So it's that the white light comes in from the room around you and it, it interacts with the particles in the paint or the particles that are suspended in the milk and they create white. Mm-hmm. I have some news, though, for, for Kevin, is that the paint isn't white. <laughs> Right. The paint is only white when you shine light on it. This sheet of paper I'm holding up, that's not white either. It's not white because how would we know if we were in the room here and there were no lights on, what colour would it be? It would have no Mm colour, right? So it is only white because light is shining on it, right? The same with your banana that you might have with you for lunch today. We think of it as yellow, but is it yellow, right? It's only yellow because of the light it reflects. So white light from the sun or or the light bulb is shining on it and it absorbs all of the colours except yellow. And it sends back the yellow. It reflects the yellow to your eyes. So the light is absorbing all of the colours in this. Uh, it, it is. And it's scattering them back in your white page there to you. And so okay. you see it as white. Isn't, doesn't it bend your mind to it think of these things? It bend my mind. And Kevin in Westport, I hope your mind is bending as well as you're listening to that, sir. <laughs> uh, another listener would like to know, how does colour blindness work? Yeah, so it, it, it happens because of, I mentioned we have these cells in our eyes called photoreceptors. And so we have to have all three of them working for um, the, the red, green and blue photoreceptors for us to perceive all of the colours. 
And certain members of our population don't have all of those working in this in the right way or to the right level. And so they will have a kind of a, a blindness to one sort or of colour or more. It happens men more often for genetic reasons. I think uh, one in one in uh, 12 men are, are colour blind, which is quite a lot. Hi, yeah. yeah. And I'm not sure that you can do anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, of course, their world is as rich as anyone else's, you know, so they, we learn to cope. Um, and uh, yeah, when you think about us having that three colour uh, perception, there are other animals that have more than three cones in their eyes. So they can see more uh, colours than we can. And there's a famous type of shrimp, which I think has 13 different photoreceptors <laughs> in its. What does the shrimp need that for? I don't know, but it's having we- a great time. <laughs> <laughs> But it must be a, an evolutionary thing. It is. Like yeah. you spoke about the flying creatures seeing more colours and petals. That's obviously to attract them to what they need to be attracted to. Yeah, right? exactly. Because they I do a job. I don't know what the shrimp is up to, though. Oh, I, God knows. But they do a great job, um, uh, the insects going to the flowers, because they help the insects and birds or whatever to, to feed. And also then pollination mm. happens. And there's this rich, wonderful world that's out there and that's completely invisible to our eyes. And the sun looks yellow. On not a good yellow. day, but it's not yellow. No, is it? it's not yellow. So the sun's white. It, the sun creates light. So the sun has a massive nuclear reactor in it. It fuses elements together, and as a result of that, it produces white light. It produces lots of light that we can't see. But w- if you were stupid enough to go out and look up at the sun, which again we don't recommend doing, um, you think it's yellow, right? Or children would draw it as yellow. That's because the sunlight passes through the atmosphere to reach us, and the atmosphere is like a filter. And it scatters out um, a certain colour, which is blue. And so the sun looks like all of the light minus the blue. So it looks a little yellow. Mm -hmm. And then the sky around it, if it's clear, will look blue. So all of the light coming from the the sun is scattered uh, away from it. So the sky looks blue. And of course, in the evening time, as the sun goes lower and lower in the sky, if it's a clear sky, it has more atmosphere to go through. So it scatters the blue light out even more. And what colour is the sky at that point in the sun? It's red. There you go. So don't look directly at the sun. No. Don't stick spoons in your eyes. Yeah, thank God it's not midterm. And shrimp (laughs) are having a a great and varied life. Shane, we've learned a lot today. Thank you very much. Perhaps more than we do every other time that you're in. Um, But we'll learn more the next time we see you. Dr Shane Bergen from UCD School of Education. Coming up next, more public charging points on the way. But will it reduce people's electric car range anxiety? That's after this. Text 51551 today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.